welcome to the Possibility Podcast. My name is Mel Schwartz. I'll be your host and your thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy for over 20 years. I've done numerous workshops and corporate speaking gigs, and I've worked with thousands of people over this time. I've been fortunate to witness countless insights and breakthroughs through my work that have allowed me to write several books and over 100 articles. I'll be introducing to you new ways of thinking, relating, and communicating to help you reach the possibilities that await you so you can truly thrive in your life. Think of it as a new game plan for living. Very often, we'll have call-ins from at least one or two people on our show. Thanks for joining my emerging community of possibility seekers, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to today's episode. We're going to be exploring what it means to raise resilient children and what this word resilience means. Our focus as a culture has been more oriented toward raising successful children, children that get high grades or are successful and compete in athletics. But we don't pay much attention to resilience and our children and their lives suffer because of it. So what do I mean by the word resilient? Resilience requires a grounding of a sense of self, self-worth, self-esteem. It mandates that we have the ability to bounce back. You know, resilience is like falling down but bouncing back up. Something is resilient. It can spring back. Life is challenging and life will be hard. And our kids are going to struggle and get knocked down. Can they bounce back? Emotional intelligence, which we will be speaking about at length, is an important sourcing and grounding for resilience. This is not about grades or achievement. Those are an important aspect of life, but not to be confused with resilience. Resilience is about resourcefulness, to reach your possibilities, for your children to reach their possibilities, requires resilience, resourcefulness, the ability to navigate life. Now, the emphasis today, as I mentioned, is really about success, ambition. It prompts me to remember a story, an anecdote in my own life that happened over 20 years ago. My son, Alex, was in fifth grade at the time, and he came home one day with a somewhat disappointing report card. I looked at it, reflected, and I guess I gave Alex the typical parental response, you know, the ordinary speech. He looked at me and he said, and I will never forget these words. He said, Dad, I'm just in fifth grade. My grades don't count yet. When they do, I'll pay attention. I'll get focused. I still went back to why it's important to learn the skills he needs to learn now. But he maintained his position. And there was a wisdom that came through when he said to me, I'm just a kid. Could you let me just be a kid, please? I ended up writing an article called I'm Just a Kid, and I thought about it. In a way, unintentionally, we are committing, again, focus on the word unintentional. There's an unintentional child abuse happening in that we rob our children of childhood. So precious to them, developmentally, spiritually, and emotionally, 
is the ability to have downtime, to be playful, to wonder, to be curious. That's the way my childhood was, and that's adaptive. But by depriving our children of that resourcefulness, so necessary in life, we commit a terrible transgression against their well-being. So let's create some balance and remember they're just children and not turn them into robotic little people just geared toward getting the best grades and getting into the best college. Let's turn now and look more deeply into this notion of resilience. As parents, no matter how devoted, caring, and nurturing we may be, our children still often struggle with low self-esteem, anxiety, depression, and a host of other challenges not dissimilar to what we may have experienced. You know, some of these disturbances are simply life experiences that they regrettably have to go through. The goal is to feel confident that they'll overcome these obstacles and that our kids will grow stronger for that success. We can't protect them from failure. We've seen the scandals arising now about paying obscene amounts of money to get kids into college. Part of that is to protect them from failure. Frankly, I don't believe in the word failure. I'd rather look at it as just not having succeeded yet. So to achieve this end, to help our kids grow stronger and more resilient, we need to provide them with the skills to bounce back on the assaults that life will bring them, the attacks on their well-being so they can thrive. Now, we can provide them with the foundation to do this if we rethink our relationship with our children. After all, if our best intentions for them aren't working out, we need to operate from a new game plan. I have found through my therapy practice and just by conversing with other parents that we're comfortable sharing our strengths and our values and goals with our children. We assume that when we do this, it will enable them to follow our guidance and propel them in the right direction in life. But the tendency for so many parents is to only share their positive attributes without really sharing the personal history of their own life struggles and upsets. Many parents say they don't want to burden their children with their problems, past or present. They simply don't want to present themselves in a way that looks disempowered or weak. It's not what they're trying to model for their kids. But ironically, When we share only the good about our lives with the children, only share part of ourselves, we deprive them of a realistic expectation and preparation for what lies ahead in life. When we can share our challenges, we're actually sharing a valuable life lesson. And that lesson is, at times, life is difficult and struggle is normal. But if we don't share our own personal struggles and hardships with our kids, We set them up for personalizing their own difficulties. You see, when they encounter hardship, challenge, and struggle, which they will, they personalize it as there's something wrong with them because they never thought or believed that mom or dad ever went through anything like that. You see, we're depriving them of the messages about what life is really like and how to navigate it. I've worked with many adolescents and young adults in college who've battled with low self-esteem or anxiety. And I've assisted one or both of their parents at the same time. I came to appreciate 
that the parents had confronted similar challenges and might still have them, but they didn't share this with their kids. So when the child feels down or anxious, they have no reference point. They can't reflect that mom or dad battled this and maybe they overcame it. Or even if the parent wasn't successful in getting past their challenge, their children can still better understand the source of their own difficulty. Mom or dad has struggled with this too. You see, that has a normalizing effect. When we withhold these issues, these matters from our kids, it leaves them with an inevitable conclusion that there's nothing wrong with their parents, but there is something wrong with them when they struggle. And this tends to isolate them and it exacerbates their struggles. Imagine if as a mother or father, you shared that you too went through something similar and maybe fortunately came through on the other side. It's also so beneficial to communicate these issues and challenges even if you're still struggling with them because you can share with your kids how you're working on them and your goals and desires to overcome them and your confidence that you do so. That models a picture of resilience. When our children encounter anxiety, insecurity, or distress, it would actually be helpful for us to not just be supportive, but to normalize their upset by sharing our own similar experiences if we've had any. And actually, this sharing should occur as part of the normal repartee of child rearing. In other words, life is difficult. And even when mom or dad have had their encounter with these difficulties, they've survived. They've coped. Life stresses are bad enough. We don't need our kids thinking it means there's something wrong with them. So we need to tell our kids about the narrative of our own lives. I remember my dad sharing with me, I was perhaps in my late teens, early 20s. My dad told me about some financial challenges and fears he had early on in his business life. He ultimately overcame those challenges and was reasonably successful and we enjoyed a prosperous life because of it. When I too, at a young age, had some fears and anxieties around finances, I had a reference point. My dad went through this and he was okay. So often when I am working with a mom or a dad or both of them as a couple and they want their child to see a therapist and they tell me their kid will be resistant to seeing therapists because that means there's something wrong with them. And I'll ask the parents, well, do you tell your children you see a therapist? And they say, no. You see the lost opportunity there? They can reframe what therapy is about if they will share that they too see a therapist. You see, when we act strong as parents, acting strong is acting. But when we share our real life experiences, including our vulnerabilities, that's actually authentic self-esteem. There's an excruciatingly damaging myth that people carry with them, too many people, and that's that other people are better off they are more confident and have better self-worth than we do. You have to break this myth by sharing more honestly and fully. A better preparation for life is to honestly address with your kids everything that life brings forth and summons. Expressing and embracing your vulnerability is powerful because it reveals genuine self-esteem. You're not afraid of what someone else will think of you. 
Many times when I've worked with recently separated or divorced parents, an issue comes up for them when they contemplate starting to date. They wonder whether they can share that with their children or not. Of course, it's essential that we're sensitive to the trauma of divorce and how it impacts our kids. And focusing on a healthy transition for our children should always be paramount. But the time comes when you should choose to move forward with your life. And why would we hide this natural process of dating from our kids? I've sometimes heard divorced parents state, I wouldn't expose my kids to dating. You know, making a life transition and eventually meeting other people socially, it's not the same as the West Nile virus. What do we mean expose them to it? It actually might be helpful to children to understand that dating is a process and that your next partner just doesn't turn up magically on your doorstep. If that's what they're led to believe, they will internalize some negative self-worth when they don't fall in love immediately. We need to set realistic expectations for our children, sharing the fuller richness of our lives rather than simply modeling the proper parent is just of enormous value. Those messages I learned from my dad and my mom too about the fuller sharing of their lives, it allowed me to model that for my kids. And that kind of mentoring promotes resilience. By passing that on to my sons, I have seen their ability to bounce back from the bumps in the road of life. Now, there's naturally a fine balance between what's appropriate sharing and not turning your children into your emotional partners. We don't want to unduly burden them, but we want to prepare them for life. And fine-tuning this balance is the goal. The greatest gift we can give our children is to fully participate in their lives, often by opening up our own lives to them. Do you know the emotional life of your children? You may know about their behavior, their grades, their test results, but do you know their emotional life? When we ask our kids how they're feeling about something, we often don't get a response, but that's because we haven't shared our emotional life with them. You need to share your story, not just the good, but all of it. Teach your children emotional intelligence, first by modeling your own range of emotions and how you navigate them, and then asking them how they feel on many occasions. You know, rather than just focusing on the test score, you might ask them, what are they studying in class? What do they think about that? How do they feel about that? Asking them how they feel often is met with them shrugging their shoulders. But again, if you share the full range of your feelings to begin with, you might start to get some responses from them. Resilience requires emotional intelligence and embracing vulnerability. It starts with us as their parents. If we can help catalyze curious minds, the grades will take care of themselves. So remember, resilience requires resourcefulness, the ability to navigate what life is going to bring in your direction. As parents, no doubt all of us have a tremendous, complex, and varied narrative to what we've experienced. Frame it in a way so there's a good teaching model for your children and develop emotionally alive relationships with them where you're getting 
underneath the conversation into feelings and perceptions and attitudes. This will give them the grounding to have a resourceful and resilient life. And then the goals of achievement and success fall into a proper priority. They don't become the end game all unto itself. Happiness is not correlated simply to success. Happiness and resilience are due to our relationship with ourself. As parents, we need to provide the right model, the right ethic, and the right motivation for creating greater balance in our children's lives before we turn them out into the world to navigate on their own. If you'd like to read further about this, please go to my website, melschwartz.com. I've written several articles on self-esteem and resilience, and there's a lot more to learn. This was just a brief introduction to this most important matter, how we can raise children who can thrive, not just succeed, but thrive in their lives. And we have a call coming in right now. Hello, caller. What's your name? Hi, my name is Holly Treat. Nice to meet you, Holly. Um, what would you like to talk about? What's your area of interest? Well, I'm an educational consultant based out of Westport, and I, I'm very interested in the topic of resilience because I think it is critical for a successful uh, school placement. And I'm often working with 12 or 13-year-old children who haven't necessarily experienced failure before. And so it's hard to know or for them to know or their parents to understand what their tolerance for failure or what their true resilience is, which is really a critical question when you're trying to determine how rigorous an academic environment they can be successful in. So failure is such a potent word. Um, I'm fond of saying there's no such thing as failure. It's just a concept we've made up. It may be true that we haven't succeeded. You know, think about a toddler trying to take their first steps and they walk a few steps and fall down. They didn't fail. They just haven't succeeded yet. So as you're talking about this, Holly, um, preparing the student for their first failure or an eventual failure, what does that mean? Does it mean getting a rejection, getting a grade that's lower than they hope for? Yeah, or, or potentially really struggling in a class and being potentially overfaced in an academic environment. Mm -hmm. So the expectations in that case have surpassed the student's ability in that moment to achieve. Yes, and then the next question is, what is the ability of the student to pull themselves back up or to be, as you've talked about, less focused on grades and more on the process of learning? You know, I, I find a way to achieve that is to embrace not succeeding or to embrace confusion. Uh, you know, think about our educational system, which is you raise your hand to answer a question if you're sure you have the right answer. But imagine a system whereby you raise your hand to ask a question because you didn't know the answer. And arguably, there is no easy answer. So it's a whole rethinking. So I would look at it in terms of not 
getting the grade you wanted or not succeeding shouldn't be seen as failure. It should be seen as at that moment in time, I wasn't able to achieve what I wanted to. Now, resilience is how do I look at this differently so I can rethink this and learn in a different way because the aha moment, that experience of getting it, potentially is just down the road. The question is whether we're going to focus on the failure and deflate our self-worth, like what's wrong with me, or we're going to say, hmm, I guess there's something I didn't understand. How do I look at that differently next time? That would be a healthy attitude. I agree completely. Do you find that the parents that you work with are a major obstacle in helping to develop that resilience, or are they in alignment with that goal? I think the parents I work with are extremely well-intended and they want only what's, you know, what's best for their child, um, which sometimes is different for, they want the best for their child. And I think in their intentions of wanting the best for their child, they can sometimes miss the mark with regard to what's best for their child. That's such a potent statement, what's best for my child, how does one actually begin to conjecture what's best? What's best might not be getting into the best school that they can get into. Exactly. We we see the years ago, the rash of suicides at some of the top schools. Well, getting into that best school might not be best. I, I was recently working with an individual whose son was in a state of depression because he was not getting into the schools he wanted to. But that opened up an opportunity to look at his life overall and see where were the imbalances, what was he missing in his life, that this was so overwhelmingly important to him. So I don't even know what's best for my child is actually even a sensible question because that question presumes that there is an answer. Right. How would we know? Well, and I think so many times when parents' intentions are to are to help their child gain entrance to, you know, obviously the, the best school they can possibly go to. But in fact, often that school can be a place where the student is more of a big fish in a little pond as opposed to a small fish in a larger pond because that's where I think the real work of gaining confidence and self-esteem and being able to elevate yourself in an environment that is going to support you um, can really make for a substantial learning experience as opposed to being one of many in a school where they'd really have to work extremely hard to keep their nose above the waterline. And I would add to that the concept of emotional intelligence just alongside of how important our grades are, our students' grades are, is how good is the emotional intelligence of our young adults and children? Because that may ultimately be a more important barometer of their success in life and happiness in life, is that we need to value emotional intelligence alongside of academic Um, achievement. And so what's best for my child is not just the best school 
or where they can get the best grades, but where will they learn to flourish as a human being? Where can they develop self-esteem and confidence and feel good about themselves? Again, difficult questions to answer, but resilience, developing resilience in children, I think suggests teaching them and modeling for them that life is challenging, that we do fall down, but we have to brush ourselves up and bounce back up. It's the sense of not feeling self-defeated. Absolutely, because everybody will encounter challenges. And the more, the earlier that kids are prepared to manage those and keep their self-confidence and self-esteem intact, uh, I think that in general, the, the happier and the more they have the potential to thrive. You know, I often recall the story of Einstein, who in college was told by his math teacher that he would never amount to much. I guess Einstein had resilience, didn't he? Yes, he did. And a learning disability to boot. <laughs> That's right. So let that let that be our picture and our model of resilience mm-hmm. um, to not cement the concept of failure or disappointment and equate that with who we are, but to look at who we are as a state of possibility and a state of potential. And I think that's the heartbeat of resilience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for your call, Holly. You, you had a lot of great insightful points to make today and really appreciate it. Thank you, Mel. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you really enjoyed the show. Please feel welcome to leave your comments at this feed or at mel at melschwartz.com where you can reach me directly. At my website, melschwartz.com, you can read about the possibility principle. Please feel welcome to join the RSS feed and subscribe to our show. And if you'd like to offer topic ideas or potentially be a guest on a future show, send me that email at mel at melschwartz.com. Thanks and have a great day.